where does this internal awareness come from? How does this happen? How is it that somebody just goes along and then, quote, unquote, all of a sudden, something makes them aware? How does this happen? Welcome to New Life. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor for New Life Community Church here on the outskirts of beautiful Ridgeway, Virginia. I thank you so much for turning us on. I trust the Lord's going to bless you as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. Let me take this opportunity to wish all of you dads a happy Father's Day. Trust you're having a happy Father's Day. I realize it's not such a happy time for a lot of dads. But I trust that's not the case for you, that you've had a blessed time. You consider your offspring, that you've had a great, uh, great time of fellowship with them over this weekend. We're going to begin a brand new teaching tonight, one that deals with the issue of revival. Now, I'm going to be talking to you about the enemies of revival. Our text passage is Philippians I'm not going to read that at the outset of the telecast. In fact, I'm going to take you, if you would please, to Luke chapter 15. Probably a familiar passage with you. Luke chapter 15 and around verse number 17. I want to read that and then we're going to jump right on into the message. And here's what the record says. When he came to his senses, and that's a reference to the prodigal, the wandering son of Luke chapter 15. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, listen to this, here I am starving to death. Luke chapter 15, verse number 17. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every last person that's tuned in this telecast. And I pray in Jesus' name that by your word you would speak to hearts. Help us, Lord, to know and understand your word, your will, your way for our life. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, you hang on. I'm going to be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. I encourage you to keep your Bible handy and follow along with us. We fill in the study notes. I trust that God's going to bless you in Jesus' name. Last week, we talked about the anatomy of revival. There's so much talk about revival and awakening in our country right now. And, and even here, I would suggest you for a long time, in particular, uh, there's kind of an exclamation point put on our Youth Awakening weekend. And from that time until just a few weeks ago, we've really been able to observe a stirring here. So we share some of these things with that in mind. Talking about the anatomy of revival last week, it just seemed fitting, and I felt very impressed to come back to you this morning with some teaching about the enemy, or perhaps the enemies of revival. Now, let me remind you just very quickly that revival is, or restoration is, as we defined it 
last week is being put back in a right relationship with God. Something is right, something comes along that messes that up, and then something else comes along that puts it back where it's supposed to be. Being put back in a right relationship with God, and make no mistake about it, that is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way God has chosen to operate. Revival is characterized by, watch this, it's very important, and I trust this will sink deeply into your spirit. It's characterized by a genuine motivation for one, for an individual to yield more of themselves to God. Now, let me just step into a little parentheses, and I'm not going to talk too much about this, but you hear it said quite often, I want more of God. I want more of God. I want more of God. Listen, God wants you to have all of Him that there is, and He has made provision for that. But in order for that to happen, He has to get all of you. Love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's on you. That's something you have to purpose. So the, the overarching question this morning is, how much of you does God have? When he gets all of you, your life is going to be transformed, and you'll begin to see his move in your life in some ways that would probably blow your mind. Revival is characterized by a genuine motivation for one to yield more of themselves to God. Now, I said somewhat joking this morning, but I'm not joking now. We're finding out over the last few weeks who wants it. Who wants it? Coach Martin says to our football team quite often, who wants it? You know what that means? That means a guy shows up on Tuesday when it's 100 degrees outside and he puts on a football uniform and a helmet and he runs until he's nearly sick on his stomach. Why would you do that? Because you want it. You want victory on Friday night. Are you following me? So who wants it? How much of ourself are we willing to yield back to God in order to see or to realize a movement of God, a revival that would not only affect us, but would affect those within the ripple effect of our life? Now, watch this. Most of us, already know about the enemies of revival. I'm teaching you this morning on the enemies of revival. Most of us already know about the enemies of revival to this extent. And I'm headed to number one on your study notes. Please fill these in with me. I go to a lot of trouble to put those in your hands on Sunday morning so that you can learn some things about the Word of God. Up to the point of our conversion, the time when you are born again, spirit-filled, for all intents and purposes, we live out our lives in partnership with, everybody say partnership. We live our lives in partnership with the enemies of revival. You understand what I'm saying? Sin is natural. We come into this world with a sin problem. Sin is natural. It's just kind of the natural way that humanity lives or walks through this present existence. It's interesting to me that seldom does one even recognize, let alone admit, that they have partnered with 
sin. Now watch this. Our culture today doesn't want to recognize and admit that they have partnered with sin. Rather, our culture wants to rationalize sin. Even among the church, many want to rationalize their sin. Well, you know, we're just human. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, if it hadn't have been for so-and-so, I wouldn't have reacted this way. Rationalizing sin, or that which is epidemic in our world today, in particular in our country, those who want to redefine sin. Now listen, you can go rent a tuxedo, and buy some new patent leather shoes and a, a, all of the get-up that goes with it, and you can put it on your favorite hog. You still got yourself a hog. Redefining sin doesn't change it. Who is it that de defines or determines what sin is? It's God Almighty, and it's not up to man to refine or redefine that. But that's what man wants to do the the sin enterprise i'm talking about the business of sin the sin enterprise loves our business the sin enterprise loves its customers it loves to see its customers coming and we love our sin don't we we as as a culture certainly not the body of Christ. But John chapter 3, I think it's John chapter 3, around verse 19 says that men love darkness. We love our sin, and sin loves to see us coming. Sin and sinful people are our most familiar and our most convenient, and in a very uncomfortable way, our most comfortable existence until... Let me do that one more time. You are born into this present existence with a sin problem, and sin will be your most comfortable existence until. Until what, Pastor Terry? Until we are aroused to realize there is an alternative. Watch this. There are a lot of people living in sin this very day, and it has not yet dawned on them. They do not realize, they have not been convinced or convicted to realize that there is an alternative to that sinful lifestyle. Listen to Luke chapter 15, verse 17. It's a story about the prodigal, the wanderer. We're told when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? You understand what took place right there? The prodigal, that wandering son, had this spiritual epiphany. Uh, for a lack of a better way of saying it, the light bulb went off. When he came to his senses, the light bulb went off. He began to get it. Now, fill in number two with me on your notes, beloved. Everyone, someone say everyone. And I believe this, everyone must have a moment, that moment of internal awareness that something is missing. Let me do that again real slow like. Everyone must have that internal awareness, that moment that they realize that something 
is missing and that it could be better. That moment when you realize perhaps you have it all, you have everything this world has to offer, but there's that unsettled emptiness inside. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Boy, I sure remember what that was like. You've got it all. You've tried it all. You've been there, done that. You have the T-shirt, and yet you come up empty. Well, what is the better way? Suffice it to say, the better way is an absence of sin. Now, wait a minute, preacher. You're going to be getting all up in my theology right here. Well, just stick with me for just a moment. The better is an absence of sin, and beloved, the fullness and the presence of God. The fullness and the presence of God, as illustrated by the prodigal. The prodigal eventually was sickened by the hogs and the husk, and he longed for the hugs of his father, who was a representation of who, church? There's a representation of God Almighty. So you see, he became sick. He looked around. He had it all. He became sick of that, and he realized that there was something better back home. He was in a certain place. He got out of that place. Something put him back in that place. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Where does this internal awareness come from? How does this happen? How is it that somebody just goes along and then, quote, unquote, all of a sudden, something makes them aware? How does this happen? Again, I believe there is a point, comes a point, in everyone's life's journey, everyone's life's journey, where you realize the journey is actually spiritual in nature. Pastor Terry, what in the world do you mean by that? I'm talking about life is a spiritual journey. All of life. Well, I'm not very spiritual. Well, stick with me right here. Life is a spiritual journey. And again, as we said just a few moments ago, many in your world are oblivious to what I just said. Some of you looking back at me right now may be oblivious to what I just said, in particular those that may be listening by way of live stream. So listen up, beloved. Uh, the, even though some are clueless, and that's the uh, clueless to the reality of what I'm talking about, they need to hear and understand this. Here's a Bible fact. And I'm going to walk you through about three verses of Scripture, and I've walked through three dozen passages in preparation for this, but we've distilled it into these three. The first is found in John chapter 5 and verse 17. It says it as succinctly and as straightforward as, as possible. But here's a Bible fact. God Almighty is always at work with His creation. I take great courage in that. God is always at work among His creation. He never, ever, ever takes a day off. He never, ever, ever takes a second off. He's always at work among His creation. John tells us, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too, says Jesus, I too am working. Jesus is always at work, or God is always at work among his creation. 
that exclusive work is facilitated in the world by Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. Holy Spirit is for real. Holy Spirit's not just some Casper the Ghost like entity out there that we just mention in our prayers every now and then. Holy Spirit is for real. And John tells us this in chapter 16, which is kind of right in the middle, right at the conclusion of some fabulous teaching about Holy Spirit. The contemporary English version says it this way, the Spirit, Holy Spirit will come. Say amen right there, church. Well, you notice it doesn't say might come, could come, if you believe it, he'll come. The Holy Spirit will come. And why? And show the people of this world the truth about sin and God's justice and the judgment. In other words, Holy Spirit will come and convict or convince persons about the truth, about sin, about God's justice and his judgment. Holy Spirit inspired Paul to reinforce this truth about God. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4, the first part of the verse. Again, reading from the contemporary English version. God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth. God is always at work among His creation. God has sent Holy Spirit to work in the lives of men. It's God's will that every person that has ever been born would come to a saving knowledge of His grace, would have a, a salvation experience through Jesus Christ. Are you with me so far? Are you? God's always at work in like manner. Now watch this. Someone else is always at work among God's creation. Satan, according to the Word of God, is roaming to and fro, going about like, everybody say like. Did everybody say that? Like. Y'all wake up out there. You didn't lose but one hour, you bunch of sissies. He's going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I've told you this before. He is not a roaring lion. He's going around like a roaring lion. He has a toothless growl. Comes out something like that. Yeah, that's Satan. But he is going around, roaming around, trying to, uh, to be all, all of that. Number three on your study notes, I told you that to tell you this. Beloved, that puts us in a dilemma. It puts us in a dilemma. You see, when God finally gets through to us, Finally, whenever that time of internal awareness, whenever that time happens and God gets through to us on these two realities, the reality of God and His work and the reality of the fact that there is an enemy, then we have reached a point of decision. A decision. Hmm. Here it is. Do I accept what God is drawing me to? Thank the Lord, many of you have been experiencing that recently, what a lot of the rest of us have experienced a long time ago, and I am confident that a lot of others will experience in the days to come. Do I accept what God is drawing me to, or do I resist Him? Now, there are those that would try to talk you into believing that you cannot resist 
God. He's sovereign to the point that you cannot resist Him. I do not believe that. If that were the case, then Adam probably would not have eaten that forbidden fruit. It hasn't changed, folks. We have been created with a will and given choices. So we have a choice. When God is drawing us, do we respond to that or do we resist Him? Or with most folks, here's what ends up happening. They get in kind of this la-la land, ignoring kind of a deal. Now watch. Ignoring, ignoring in the spiritual sense... Ignoring God is a very passive, aggressive sin. Pastor, you can't call that a sin. Listen again. It is a very passive, aggressive sin because it appears and even feels a little bit like, well, we aren't doing anything. You know how it is when you're doing something crazy and your parents look at you with that look and you say, I didn't do nothing. It's kind of that way. It appears and it even feels a little like we aren't doing anything. But the fact is, and I trust you will understand this, beloved, doing nothing when it comes to spiritual matters, doing nothing is doing something. Especially when God tells us to do something and we decide to pay Him no attention. Are you with me? I didn't do nothing. Well, that's the point. God told you to do something. Now, here's something significant. God, not only is God wooing us by His Spirit to Him, and I believe that it is not His will that any perish. He sent Holy Spirit to draw. He's not only wooing us to Him, but also... God is wooing us away from the enemy. Are you following me? Not only wooing us to him, but wooing us away from our enemy. Watch, church. This is the sticking point for so, so many. Why would that be the sticking point? Why? Because part of the decision... God has spoken to me. I have a God, uh, that awareness moment. And God, I realize God is, is drawing me. And, and I have a decision to make. Part of that decision is to ponder that you will have to reject some components of your life as previously lived out, possibly even presently engaged. I'm talking about a sinful lifestyle. Now, stick with me right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is usually difficult because sin has become, sin has been our familiar default. We come into the world with that sin problem. When something happens, that's what we default to. That's how we react by our sin and in our sinful condition. Now, the partnership with sin Remember I talked to you about that a few moments ago? The partnership with sin will likely encompass some of your friends. Everybody say friends. Some of your old friends. 
Your partnership with sin will likely encompass some old relationships. Hopefully those two are one and the same in some respects. Check this out. Your partnership with sin may have even involved your immediate family if your family Beloved, that'd be a good place for us to cut in. We'll try to wrap this up next week, the Lord willing. But let me just remind you of something that we have been talking around here for the last several moments of the message. And it's this fact. God is always at work among us. Even when we don't see it, when we don't realize it, for many that would even deny the existence of God, God is always at work around us. The question I want to put before you tonight is this. Are you recognizing God's work? Are you recognizing God's work in your life? If not, what can you do about that? Well, you can back up and read His Word, the Bible. You can back up and begin a prayer life where you really begin to seek God and not just talking to or talking at God, but listening to God and listening for that still small voice, which is Holy Spirit working in our lives. I want to be an encouragement to you to find God's purpose and plan for your life. He has a plan for your life, not the least of which actually all important is your salvation, knowing that you're going to spend eternity with God. By the way, the Bible prescribes the way to God, and it's through Christ, God's Son. That's why we're so adamant about this. Jesus made the statement that He was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through Him. That is a Bible fact, a Bible reality that I trust the Holy Spirit of God is helping you to understand. Listen, if you have established a relationship with Christ, can you be encouraged to get involved in God's church, to get involved in a church fellowship, a church body where you can be encouraged, where you can learn, and where you can learn to be an encouragement to others. That will revolutionize your life. Now, I may be speaking to someone who says, Pastor T, I tried that. I got involved in the church, and that's just a bunch of weenie heads, and these people hurt me, and, and they're not for real. Listen, you have got to find a place where the Word of God is preached and taught in a balanced way and where there is some accountability and some discipline and learn to grow in that. I want to encourage you to that extent. It has been said that all churches are full of hypocrites. That is a lie. Let me say this to you again. There are those who would say to you that all churches are full of hypocrites. That is a lie. The church... It's following after the things of God. Uh, there may be some times where people fail. They, they make mistakes. They err in their judgment. I, that is true. I do that myself. But that doesn't mean that the church is full of hypocrites. There, nothing could be further from the truth. Discover the reality of a place where God is held in high esteem and He works among people and people just continue to love on one another right on into heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one listening in. I pray in Jesus' name that every ear, every heart would receive your word and study it and know it and apply it to their own life so that they might know that they know you through Christ and that they might know they have the hope of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Beloved, I want to remind you that New Life does have a regular schedule of activities. Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Also midweek activities Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Something for nearly every member of the family. I've got to get out of here. My time is gone. I am Terry Knight and pastor of New Life Community Church. Trust you're going to have a great week. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you? 